world champions. It's not a dream. It's not a desert mirage. It's Lord Stanley, and he is coming to Washington. Welcome back to Japers Rink Radio. I'm your host, Greg Young, and today in uh, recapping game two of the first round against the Islanders, I figured that uh, there are bigger things to talk about than just game two, because I think as JP and I will, I'm assuming, get into, uh, there, I think, were just have been bigger things going on for the Capitals over the last couple of years since Todd Reardon took over. So uh, I kind of betrayed who our guest is, but it is the uh, masthead of the site, uh, John Press. John, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing all right. Had a night to sleep on it uh, after that game and ready to dissect whatever you want to dissect. So let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Well, I think the the big question that at least it seems to me is – I think I'm actually going to start with a with a kind of broad question, and then I'm curious to kind of hear where you go with it. So I, to me, it seems like the Capitals, I can't really tell, this doesn't seem like a team that is seriously competitive to win the Stanley Cup right now as it's constructed. And I could see potentially two big explanations for that. One is that it's a coaching issue and that Reardon just is not up for this job. But also the other thought I've kind of had is I almost wonder if the Capitals have a little bit of the Blackhawks of 2016-17 in them in the sense of this is a a team that is in many ways you could consider a dynasty, but all dynasties end at some point. And when they end, they can end pretty abruptly and quickly. So I don't know, kind of where are you at on is this just a coaching problem or are we maybe looking at the end of a window here? Um, I mean, I think it can be a little bit of both. Um, but, you know, the way I look at it is, um, is there a coach out there? Or are there coaches out there who could be doing more with this roster? And uh, I think it's hard to argue that that's not the case. Uh, you know, the roster, there, there's ostensibly a good top six. Uh, there's a playable uh, defense that that looks pretty good and uh, on paper. And you have a goalie who, when things are working out in front of him, uh, I think is a slightly above average goalie probably at this point in his career. I know that others would probably um, argue that point, but uh, I, I think that the roster that, uh, that Brian McClellan has assembled may not be as good as we thought it was and uh, certainly isn't as good as those rosters from, say, 2016 through 2018 uh, were. But uh, I think it's a good enough roster that uh, a good coach could win with it. And that's not to say that all the problems that this team has right now are coaching, uh, because I don't think they are. But uh, I think that this is a roster that can be competitive. I think that the East uh, right now is somewhat open. I think Tampa, when they're playing well, is probably the class of the group. But, you know, uh, the, the, there aren't any teams in uh, the East that when the Caps are playing well and with this roster, they can't play with. So, you know, I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, 
I, I, I don't think that they have the bottom six scoring depth that they thought they had. Um, you know, oh, Ilya Kovalchuk, unfortunately, has turned out to be a bit of a flop. Uh, I think he has one goal in 12 games with the Caps. Uh, obviously, you know, this season it has been crazy, uh, stopping in March, coming back in August or whatever. Uh, but still, you know, uh, I don't think they've gotten the, the fourth line scoring since, you know, back in the fall, it seems. Uh, and Carl Haglin doesn't do anything. Uh, Jacob Rana hasn't done anything. And I think maybe we can get into Rana a little bit at some point, uh, during this, uh, chat, but, uh, they're, they're really not getting uh, the production that they need. And I think a lot of that uh, is because the uh, of the systems and the schemes that they have in place. I mean, it's hard to have sustained offense when you can't get the puck out of your own fucking zone under control. <laughs> and and they, I mean, their their breakouts are horrific. Their in-zone defensive coverage is bad. And, uh, you know anybody can say it's effort, motivation, attention to detail and stuff, but ultimately uh, it's on the coach to get them focused and uh, to draw up the scheme. So to me, it all kind of comes back on him. And then, you know, uh, if it doesn't, uh, I guess if it comes back on him, then it all comes back on Brian McClellan and, you know, so on up the chain. But uh, I, I think this is a team that still, could be competitive, but, um, you know, it, it's, it's changing. It's a, it's a team that's changing. Uh, I think the, the caps PR put out a, uh, a note the other day that the, they're the only team in the league that currently has their franchise, uh, playoff goal point assist points by defensemen and wins leaders on the roster. So that speaks to the sustained sustained success that this core has had and how they've been able to keep this core together. But, uh, you know, it, it's coming to an end. Uh, Braden Holpe, probably unlikely to be here next year. The rest of those guys will still be here, I think. Uh, but, you know, I, I think the roster could use some tweaks, uh, but I think they also could be doing more with the roster they have. Yeah, and we talk about coaching, and I think it's easy as Caps fans to say, oh, well, it's a Caps problem, right? And I, I will say I think that Barry Trotz, the system that he has with the Islanders is in many ways – I mean, I, I think I tweeted this out that the Islanders kind of have one big trick, right, which is to forecheck the hell out of you and make it really difficult to leave the zone. And at least to me, and I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are, it seems that that system is kind of magnifying the underlying issues that the Capitals already have. And it's just making it clear stuff that we've already seen over the last, you know, couple of years since Reardon took over. It seems like it's kind of magnified in these two games, is it not? Um, yeah, I think that that's probably fair. Um, and, you know, we, we talk about coaching and uh, one of my sort of pet uh, theories or uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, pet thoughts that I think doesn't get enough attention um, generally is the difference between uh, regular season and playoff coaching. And uh, people don't seem to really recognize that. They think it translates one-to-one. -one. If you're a good coach, you're a good coach. And that, that's simply not true. And, uh, you know, in the regular season, 
you first of all, you win a lot of games on skill. Uh, a skill advantage in the regular season uh, can can get you a lot of wins uh, with nothing else just because that that's the way the regular season goes it's a grind and you know every night uh you know you can't be playing 100 percent uh so sometimes skill gets you by uh but also in the regular season you're focused on your team what you're doing and your systems um whereas in the postseason you're focused uh, on what the opponent's doing and countering what the opponent's doing. It, you know, the regular season, it's not the NFL. You don't have a week to sit there and watch film and uh, scheme how you're going to, you know, defend the power play or how you're going to uh, defend the other team's best player. It's, a, you know, it's a different beast. You, you have, you're playing every two, three nights or whatever. Um, you're just doing your thing and hoping that it works against uh, the other team's thing. And so, you know, if you've got some good systems or some uh, tricks up your sleeve or whatever, you can win a lot of games. And the Caps have done that for the past decade. You know, they, they've it's often been uh, the power play uh, that teams weren't really scheming against and able to figure out. And so the Caps could get a goal or two a night in the regular season on the power play. And, you know, if you're getting a goal or two a night uh, on your power play and getting another goal or two at even strength, you're going to win a shitload of games. You know, that that's if you're scoring three or four goals a night, you're, you're going to win games. And so uh, that that's how you carry through a regular season. But then you get to the postseason and it's about adjustments. And to your point about uh, this being sort of magnified, uh, I thought the Caps came out last night. Uh, in game two, looking they look pretty good. good. Yeah, they yeah. look pretty good. They got the early goal. They were their breakouts were fine. And then, you know, maybe halfway through the first period, they, he didn't even have to wait to get to intermission. But the the Islanders made adjustments, and that was it. I mean, the Caps breakouts from probably about the ten minute mark of the first period or whatever uh, were just horrible. The rest of the night, they, they, they couldn't do anything. And uh, it's those breakouts. It's the same issue that uh, really plagued the Caps against Carolina last year. And, you know, in a lot of ways, the Caps were probably lucky to go seven with uh, Carolina, the way they were getting caved in at five on five uh, through a lot of that series. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's magnifying the same issues. It's the it's the breakout. It's uh, to an extent in zone defensive coverage. It's. entries on the power play it, you know it, these things aren't go, getting better and um you know Todd Reardon uh by all accounts was an excellent assistant coach um and has the rings to prove it uh and you know it, does that translate to being a good head coach I don't know might it someday it might you know he might end up being a very successful head coach. Uh, but back to their earlier point about this roster and getting older and, ch- and transitioning everything, I don't think the Caps necessarily have the time to sit around and wait to see if if he gets better. Uh, so uh, if this series continues to go the way it's going, and you know, that's, a, that's a big if, um, you know, the Caps have to have uh, some tough decisions to make. Um, you know, this could all turn around, but uh, there's little indication right now that that 
will be the case. So, you know, let, let's see. But, um, you know, you can't say that the red flags aren't there. Yeah. And, and one thing I know that you've written about and I'm kind of I, I, I want you to kind of talk a little more about is you wrote an article about the difficulty of transitioning from being an assistant head coach to a head coach and kind of both from a psychological standpoint and also just from a kind of logistical standpoint, why that's a difficult transition. And I'm kind of curious um, what if you wanted to elaborate on that and kind of do you think that your thesis on that maybe has been I won't say proven because so much of head coaching is we're just not going to know. But do you th- do you see do you feel um, maybe like parts of it have been a little bit more vindicated for you? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'll let uh, other people figure out whether it uh, gets it's borne out or not. I, I did write just before the uh, break back in March. I wrote a, a piece called "Good Cops, Bad Cops," and Todd Reardon. And the basic premise of it, uh, I looked at some other. Uh, coaches who had taken over uh, after Stanley Cup winning coaches left, you know, just and, and generally making that transition from assistant coach to head coach. And, you know, th- there's there there are a lot of uh, sort of warning signs there. Um, you know, when you're an assistant coach, you're kind of uh, the good cop, right? You're the guy who uh, the players can go to and be like, man, coach is being a hard ass, whatever, you know, when the coach reams him out or you, you go there and you, you have those soft skills, right. That, uh, that you need to deal with. And then, you know, how do you go from that role to being in the authoritarian role as the head coach, you know, where, where accountability, uh, is so important. And, uh, these other, these other traits that head coaches have to have that are different than assistant coaches. And I think it's a different, a a difficult um, transition. I mean, you can't go from being everybody's buddy to being uh, everybody's boss. It's, you know, uh, I think, I think there was a a friend, a friend's episode uh, where Chandler uh, becomes the boss and everybody thinks he's a dick. I mean, obviously Chandler was a dick, but like, you know, the, anyway, about uh, back to the point. Um, <laughs> the, 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 uh, the, the usual uh, friends diatribe in Japers and Crane. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I've never, that, that's a new one for me. Well, yeah, I guess you guys are a little younger maybe, uh, but uh, <laughs> I, I have watched a few episodes, uh, although it's off Netflix now. Right. So I, I don't really know. I guess I could go to Peacock or whatever, but I don't. I don't really know. Where uh, it's probably not worth it. But uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, you know, th- there are the, these problems that come with the uh, with elevated assistance, and you know, I don't know that that's the problem that uh, that Reardon has had. Um, but you know, uh, it's out there, and it's a thing just to think about uh, as uh, these things change, as these roles and responsibilities on a team change. Yeah, there, there's another theory that I want to posit, and I'm I'm kind of curious about your your input on this one. At least to me, a lot of what, and I'm gonna draw an Adam Oates comparison, and I'm sorry for doing this in advance because I do think Todd Reardon's a better coach than Adam Oates. But one thing that I particularly noticed with Oates, because he was I think also an assistant coach, right, or he was a special teams coach or something mm-hmm. like that. Right. was he was very individual player focused. Like his big thing was, here's how I'm going to rescue Alex Ovechkin. And Todd Reardon, a lot of the stories have also been kind of how he's helped players like Dimitri Orlov and John Carlson to kind of harness their skills and become better players. And I'm wondering if 
maybe you could get a little too individualistically focused as a head coach. And maybe this that's where things like the system that you're running or general accountability kind of maybe struggle a little bit. And I don't, there's no way to really quantify what I'm saying, but does that kind of roughly make sense? Yeah, I mean, I buy it. And that's why you have assistant coaches, right, to do that yeah. shit. So, um, you know, I, I certainly buy it. I certainly uh, – at the time and in retrospect, think it's important to have good assistance, particularly when you're um, new to head coaching. But uh, a lot of times the head coaches don't want, you know, you don't want to put, you know, um, these experienced former head coaches as your assistant coach when you're a new guy, because uh, you want to be the guy you want to have. So when you're Adam Oates, uh, you know, are you going to put, uh, experienced coaches on your bench, you should, but you're not going to. You're going to get mm. Callie Johansson and, uh, you know, the, the other guys uh, that that he had who aren't going to question. Goalie, right? Olaf Kolzik, I think. Was yeah, one. yeah. I mean, he was uh, definitely. And so you get guys who are, uh, you know, where there's no question who's the boss. Uh, and so, you know, I, I think we've discussed and written about uh, Reed Cashman's impact on the team, probably not being a very positive one generally. And, uh, you know, to me, I'm a person who likes to surround himself with uh, people who are smarter and better than I am, as evidenced by uh, the people who write uh, on our site and do yeah. our podcasts and that kind of thing. Uh, so, so you're you know, talking Adam Stringham, obviously. Yeah, Adam, <laughs> all of them, uh, every yeah. one of them. Uh, you know, you you should be learning from the people around you. You know, if you're if you're the smartest person in the room, you need to find another room because that's yeah. not how you uh, grow. I mean, th- these are life lessons from JP, by the way. These are broadly applicable. This is not just about. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll market this not as a sports pod- podcast, but a, a general advi- life advice podcast. Right. It's a uh, mental health. Uh, so yeah, Which I mean, we need after watching these capitals. <laughs> tell me about it. So, uh, <laughs> right. I mean, uh, you know, to me, you surround yourself with the, uh, the best and brightest people and, uh, you know, that's how, that's how you get a great product. That's, you know, in many ways you look at the 2018 club and the, you know, the, the whole of Barry Trotz's tenure here. And it, it was like an all-star team of coaches in, yeah. in a lot of ways, you know, uh, Mitch Korn, obviously one of the great goalie coaches that has ever existed. Um, Lane Lambert and Lambert Lambert, right. <laughs> I, I go to the French for anyway, uh, Lane yeah. Lambert and, uh, Todd Reardon, both, uh, have been sought after, uh, assistance to, to, for head coaching gigs and, you know, Blaine Forsyth for a moment, there was uh, a power play wizard. So, you know, they, They've had uh, a good assembly of guys behind the bench, and uh, the results reflected that. You know, I don't, I don't think you can say the th- same thing about uh, the the crew that is there now. But maybe someday they come into their own as well. Yeah. So I guess one to kind of go to specifics a little bit. One thing that I've been kind of baffled by is just the amount of players that have been invisible. I mean, we're talking right now in this series that there are two players for the Capitals that have scored all of their goals, uh, TJ Oshie and Alex Ovechkin. And 
I mean, to me, it seems like we've talked about depth before, but it's kind of been invisible in this series. And I'm, I, I've written before on the site calling Yakabrana a elite NHL forward, which I, I still, I guess, believe. But oh boy, he's been awful this series. And I look at also players like just Brendan Dillon, Dmitry Orlov, uh, and kind of players that the Capitals need these guys to step up, and they just haven't. And it's, it's hard for me to kind of separate any one player from kind of the team-wide malaise that they've been in, but I don't know. It seems also that just the Capitals' depth so far in the series has kind of failed them, huh? Yeah, I mean, the the depth has failed them, but, uh, you know, so has the the high-end talent out, outside right. of Ovi and uh, Oshi, uh, each scoring a couple in uh, the respective games. Uh, you know, I, I think that uh tom wilson's played okay took some silly penalties but uh mm. you know he's got to translate it vrana hasn't really obviously missing backstrom sucks uh, but yeah. you know it like we said earlier uh i think that they their depth uh may be overrated you know uh like we said about kovalchuk one goal in 12 games for the caps carl Haglin has no goals in a dozen playoff games for the Caps. And that's a dude who I swear to God scored every time they played against him in the playoffs. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, panic has done nothing. Eller has uh, one. It hasn't scored since the first game against the Canes last year uh, in the playoffs. Um, so, you know, it's, we're a long ways from uh, when you had like, Brett Connolly and Andre Burakovsky on the third line pumping in uh, goals. And um, the, you know, it, it shows that you would like to see more, obviously, from uh, Dmitry Orlov. But uh, it, it, I mean, it's it sort of, it, it's hard not to come back to um, systems and schemes and uh, breakouts and, you know, it all starts there. Everything in the offensive zone starts, you know, other than face-off wins that turn into sustained possession, everything in the offensive zone starts outside the offensive zone. And right now the Caps neutral zone play and breakouts sucks. And, uh, yeah. And (laughs) it's unwatchable. It's yeah, it's brutal. And it's, uh, credit to the Islanders for stifling it. Um, but, uh, this is where, this is where good coaches show that they're good coaches in making those adjustments and uh, figuring out a way. You saw it uh, in 2016 and 2017 and 2018. You would see these uh, chess matches between Barry Trotz and Mike Sullivan, right? Where one game, uh, it looked like the Penguins figured it out and they were just uh, storming uh, the Caps. And then next game the caps would make a couple tweaks and they'd be on the the right foot and uh you know those were fascinating matchups to watch and to watch everything uh that goes into into those uh shifts in momentum but right now uh and, and not just right now i mean we're not just talking about two games you know at a minimum we're talking about nine games if we include the seven against the canes last year um at a maximum, we're talking about a lot of what we've seen in the regular season as well. But, you know, you're just not seeing that uh, as much of um, uh, a 
reactive uh, change from the caps in in adjusting. And uh, if you had to put playoff coaching uh, into like one word to summarize what playoff coaching is all about, it's adjustments. And um, so far, I haven't seen Todd Reardon able to make those adjustments. And I, yeah, I, I know the question was about uh, players, but sorry, <laughs> well, I ended, no, I ended I, up I, here. That's kind of where I was. I think I probably would have taken that question, too, is kind of saying it's hard to separate any one player from kind of the team malaise that they've had. So I don't know. I guess, I mean, you you just mentioned that they're going to have to turn something around. Um, I, I don't know about you. I don't really expect a ton of wholesale personnel changes at this point. I mean, may, they, they might get Backstrom back. We're going to, I guess, find out. It seems like reporting today is that there's a possibility he will play in game three, although... I think someone, he has a concussion history. I would hope that they would be extremely careful, uh, although it's hockey, and so who knows if they right. will be or won't. Um, but I don't know. I if, if if the Capitals turn this series around, how will they do it? Um, yeah, it, it's hard to see, right? Because um, when they were uh, 0-2, oh, and I just... Uh, I saw some breaking news on Twitter just now that distracted me for a moment. Um, but clarify the breaking news. Uh, yeah. The Boston Bruins have tweeted a statement from Tuka Rask. I want to be with my teammates competing, but at this moment there are things more important than hockey in my life. And that is being with my family. He's, so he's leaving the bubble and uh, piecing oh, wow. out. So that's, that's crazy. Uh, I guess it's going to be Halak, uh, Halak for the, for the rest of the playoffs for them, huh? Yeah, and they have a game in like an hour. Um, yeah, that's right. <laughs> anyway, um, so how do the Caps turn this thing uh, around? Uh, you know, you, you could see it when they were down 0-2 to Columbus uh, two years ago. They had dropped those first two games. Uh, they were playing really well. Uh, they just uh, were let down by their their goaltending, to be honest. And, and uh, that was Grubauer. Uh, so then if you asked me, I'd say, go to Holpe, dude. <laughs> that's, the, that's the way to do it. Uh, you know, everything else is kind of working. So just keep doing it and hope you get a bounce. And lo and behold, they got the bounce, right, uh, off of Eller in overtime. I, the, it... it Never ceases to amaze me how close the Caps were to um, being down 0-3 in that series. And then they're done. And then the cup never happens. But anyway, um, but it's hard to see. The famous Downers Brown tweet of uh, if the Capitals score the next goal in game three, they're going to go to they're going to go on to win the Stanley Cup. And if they don't, then (laughs) Trotz is going to be fired and the Capitals are going to be back in the morass. Right. I mean, for for all the. yeah, for all right, for all of the um, the stuff about how the Caps should have kept Barry Trotz and this, that, and the other thing, you know, this is the same Barry Trotz that was dressing Mike Weber over Nate Schmidt uh, a year earlier or whatever, and uh, a guy who was almost fired in the middle of that season, a guy who told John Tortorella uh, in the handshake line in that Columbus series that he's gone, right? So uh, people are, are have a little bit of um, historical uh narrative bias maybe yeah maybe so but uh in any event it was clear then uh you know probably make you make the switch to Braden Holpe it's not as clear now because uh 
you know, Hopi obviously was not good in game one. Uh, he was better in game two, but, fine. Yeah. but the, but this team's issues right now aren't, uh, as easy to pinpoint, uh, and, and fix. I don't think it's not one guy. It's not bench Jake Vrana. It's not, you know, dress Connor McMichael. It's not, uh, play Vitek Vanacek. It's, um, and it's not try harder. It's not, you know, in his uh, post-game presser uh, after game two, uh, Reardon said that they need more motivated players. And uh, you know what, coach, it's not just on the players here. Uh, that, that feels like the the quote that Bruce Boudreau gave right before he got fired, right? The uh, if, if these guys don't know how to motivate themselves, I don't know how to do it. Yeah, I mean, it does sort of uh, feel like that in a sense, but it's, uh, you know, maybe it just rubbed me the wrong way at the time and I see what I want to see in it be. But, um, you know, to me, I I would want my coach to be out there saying, you know, we've got to we've all got to be better and it starts with me uh, or something like that. Just accepting some sort of uh, responsibility for being in the spot that they're in. so, uh, you know, to answer your question about how they get back in this series, um, I, I do think it will take uh, a more focused uh, effort. Uh, but, you know, it's going to take some good fortune. And um, I, I, I guess keep plugging away. Uh, what can you say? I, I, you can shuffle the deck chairs if you want. Um, but you know they uh it goes deeper than um just getting a couple bounces and and keep on playing your game and get pucks deep and all this other stuff yeah i think i agree i think i agree all right well this has uh been a uh interesting and uh i think <laughs> i think a thoroughly sobering uh instance of uh japers rink radio uh jp where can uh, people find your stuff um well, they they can find me at Japers Rink, uh, and here it's a great site. It well, I mean, it, it's the window's closing. It, it's not <laughs> <laughs> it's not what it used to be, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and also, like a, a personal plug, uh, earlier this summer I, I recorded a record and put it out. And if anybody wants you to did. listen to it, yeah, uh, it's if good. Any, I listen to it. Thanks, dude. Uh, yeah, if any, if anybody wants to listen to it, you can find it on all your streaming platforms. It's called Isolation Station uh, by J Press. And uh, yeah, check it out. Let me know what you think of it if you're into it. And, uh, you know, it, it won't take two and a half hours of your time and leave you depressed. It, it might be like 50 minutes of your time and leave you depressed or something. I don't know. There you go. Well, I mean, it's... Uh... That's that's uh it's an efficient type of depression. That, that's what we that's what we really strive for here on uh, Japers Rank Radio. Indeed, as you know. indeed. <laughs> All right, uh, and you can find me at Greg Y underscore Jr. and uh, the podcast at Japer at Japers Rank Radio. Um, I also, if you'd like the show, I'm actually going to finally do this at the end of the show. Uh, please rate, write, subscribe, and review and do all of those things. I know that this has not been the most uplifting episode, but I think it's good to talk about these kind of things. And uh, JP, thanks for coming on. Hey, my pleasure.